Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad you're still with me. If you are, if you listen to hour one, I do. We have any cleanup to do, gentlemen? Do we have uh, any apologies to make? Or go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Go well, ahead, Tom I don't Arnold. mean to. When I make little jokes, I don't mean to make people feel bad who are, got tears in their eyes. But you know, uh, Bill, what you said because you were raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. About going, do you mind sharing what we talked about in the break? No, about, not at all. No, okay. there's a lot of uh, funerals I went to, and I was even an altar boy. So I officiated as an altar boy at many, many funerals, uh, people I didn't know. And there um also lots of funerals of people I, I have known who have not really put their, their faith in, in their life. It hasn't become real to them. They lived lives that were really opposite of following sure. Jesus. But the officiant at the funeral pretty much said, but we know where he or she is now because of their infant baptism. And I always... Uh, had uh, struggled with that, and that's right. It, well, yeah. And and I would hope most Catholic priests would also say that's wrong. I hope they would. I hope they would. And, yeah. and but the thing is, you can go to a Lutheran funeral and hear the same thing. And uh, the reason that's so evil is it tells everybody in the church, I can live like the devil, not really have faith in Christ, but go to heaven because I have my ticket through infant baptism. Sure, I believe in infant baptism, but I sure don't believe in that. No, no. He who endures to oh. the end will be saved. Is that's what right. Jesus said. That's right. Right. Well, and I think that's ultimately our faith or our trust and salvation isn't in the actual act of baptism or the ritual or practice of baptism. It's it's in Jesus, right? And I think if we if we're viewing baptism as equaling salvation, I think that's completely truncating the purpose and even the biblical meaning behind salvation as telling us it's just about where we go when we die. And it's so, it's so much more than that. You know, it's it's eternal life, which Jesus clearly defines as, as having a relational knowledge of of him as your Lord and Savior. So, Well, exactly. And again, think about the Old Testament. When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments and they had built the golden calf and they were worshiping it and he threw the commandments and was angry, what happened to the people? Well, 25,000 of them, the earth opened up and swallowed 25,000 of them and they died. They were all circumcised. They were all part of the covenant. And yet being part of the covenant means you have obligations, doesn't mean you've got an automatic ticket if you don't believe. And the problem is we haven't put enough emphasis in probably in Lutheranism, Roman Catholicism, on submitting and loving Jesus and serving him as we have the things that we can administer. Because I can administer baptism. I can administer the Lord's Supper. There's some control there in that sense. What I can't administer is faith. Mm -hmm. And without that faith, we're totally lost. All right. Psalm 4610. You all know that verse. Oh, yeah. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. It's much easier to be still when you're in solitude. When do you guys find solitude? How do you make solitude? Jesus would do ministry for days and then he would disappear for a couple of days. And back in those times, you know, he wasn't going, you know, to a, a motel at the edge of town. He was probably literally out in the wilderness. I don't know how he rested, where he got food, how he slept calmly at night with, you know, of course, the Heavenly Father, I'm sure, protected him. But you know what I mean? You're out in the wilderness. Uh Yeah. 
So um, can you find in this crazy world, can you be still in solitude, and how do you do it? Lord taught me a good lesson years ago. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, no. I was just going to say, you know, I can't remember where I where I got this from, but obviously since it's alliterized, it, it stuck with me. But I think a practice that I've tried to adhere when it comes to solitude is I have a kind of a, a, a daily, a weekly, and an annual rhythm. And so, I mean, one is I it's to divert daily. So I, I need to have a daily diversion where I – it could be five minutes. It could be ten minutes. It could be – longer than that but i have some moment sometimes it's redeeming my commute while i'm driving some some, some something that i'm doing daily to to, to to seek solitude with the lord and then have a a weekly withdrawal so in other words i'm gonna have an extended time each week this would be, you know would be like the sabbath of, of having an afternoon a day um and and having that extended time and then to abandon annually so find some time during the course of the year where I will I will go on a on a personal retreat and for me with young kids and young family that's been harder to do in recent years so I usually try it about once a quarter I take a day and I go to a retreat center and now with the COVID and pandemic I I just do it on my own outside at even at a state park but I take a whole day away I bring nothing with me but a Bible and a journal some water maybe a little bit of food and I just spend the day with with Jesus and it's I can't tell you how much I look forward to those times and how much the Lord is energized, renewed my mind, um, nourished my soul during those times, and really prepared me for what's coming next. That's, That's great. great. That's, That's great, good. Justin. Tom Parrish? In my early years of ministry, one of the gentlemen in the church got me into bow hunting. Yes, I'm a deer hunter, and I love to eat deer. Um, so I would got into bow hunting, and I would sit there and not see a deer for hours and hours and days and days. And it didn't take very long until I had to start saying, what am I going to do? Just sitting here. There's nobody to talk to. So I started trying to pull up all the scripture I'd memorized. I started doing a lot of praying. And it actually became a pattern that whether I'm deer hunting or not, I do a lot of that, especially when I'm I'm, I'm driving over here to the station, like for the program. I have a running conversation going on with the Lord Jesus. It's hard as you have kids in that and a spouse to get away. If you can do it, great. But most of us can't always do that. We don't have that luxury. But on the other hand, You've got to have those times alone. And here's the other dilemma. When we get married, what does the Bible say? We become, what does Jesus say? The husband and wife become one flesh. Husbands and wives should get away together and should have that time of renewal and do that on a regular basis and pray together. Yeah, I'm with you, uh, Justin, too. I, you know, I sometimes, and Bill, I struggle with finding that that alone space. And then I struggle if I don't find that alone space, for sure. And um and so finding it in the car, if I just engage in the discipline, especially during these winter, you know, upcoming winter months when the sun isn't up until it seems like noon, you know, and so the, the early morning commute is, is pretty dark and, and um, can be somewhat dreary. But I find in that space in the car, if I'm willing to just shut off all the sound, uh, whether it's a podcast or music or some talk radio I'm listening to, and just spend that time <clears throat> In, in a bit of silence and solitude in those moments, there is something that really does happen uh, in, in the day in the stillness of being with God. And, and I think it actually then, that stillness can and does extend into whatever the storms of the day look like. And, and I think some of the most profound believers that I know have a stillness uh, in the midst of the chaos around them, whatever that chaos might look like at work or in relationships or things coming down. They're, they're just the kind of people that seem to be standing on a different kind of rock 
than others might be standing on. They just, they're not easily fussed. They have a sense of easy laughter about them. They're able to have wisdom in given circumstances when it does seem like it is fraught with peril. And, and there's just there, that stillness. I think we have to find those times to get away and whatever that looks like, because I do think then that stillness carries over. And we know, like the psalmist writes in the rest of 46, that God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And and I think we're able to be still in the midst of trouble uh, when we know that and are oriented that intentionally throughout a given day. I had an old white-haired pastor say to me when I was a young preacher, Tom, you need one hour alone with the Lord every day or you will burn out. And he said, during that hour, you can read the Bible, you can pray. Sometimes I take out the guitar and I sing to the Lord, but I I, I don't make it every day by any means. But often I spend an hour alone with the Lord every day. And if I don't, you know, I heard somebody say once, when I spend my time with the Lord in the morning, he makes it up later in the day. But I I have this feeling that, you know, often if I just run out the door and don't spend my time with the Lord... I'm a little bit edgier that day than had I had the calm that Peter just talked about of spending time with the Lord. And the same pastor said to me, you know, Tom, your day off is Thursday at this church. And he said, I don't want to see your car in the parking lot here. I don't want to see your foot in the door. You need to take your Sabbath and stay away from this church uh, one day a week. And I think that also is why pastors burn out because they're working every day. And that's not good. Are you familiar with the book? I think Dick Eastman wrote the book called The Hour That Changes the World. And I got into that book 35 years ago, and it's got a 12-step process in it for prayer. And it's got different topics. And the advantage was if you pray over each one for a minute, you pray 12 minutes. If you pray each one five minutes, it's 60 minutes. And I've done that with a lot of men and women over the years in small groups. It's a very effective tool. I think it's still around called The Hour That Changes the World. Put it to work. It's a good tool. All right. I'm going to take a little break right now, and then when I come back, I'm going to talk about uh, self-examination. And and is that an important part of living as an authentic Christian, self-examination? And if you do that, because we talk about Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if we're doing true self-examination, is it something that we do on our own, or do we ask the Holy Spirit to do it with us? That's the question up next. On Guide Talk, we'll be right back. back with Guy Talk. We've had one of the power panel drop out, so Dr. Peter Kapsner is no longer with us, but uh, he will be uh, joining us, of course, next week. <laughs> We're having some technical di- difficulty here in the oh, studio. Okay, I think sorry. you okay, Tom? I hit the You're pushing button. a lot of buttons there. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you got me nervous. Uh, what's... Okay, never mind. Okay. All right. <laughs> I've got a good joke on that, but I better not... So, better Rob, not. <laughs> I will push the buttons in the studio. Thank you so much, Rebecca. <laughs> And we have Justin, Agent we Justin do. on? Yes. Okay, awesome. All right, let me, <laughs> let me restate the question right, right before I went to break. I wanted to ask about, is self-examination uh, an important part of living as an authentic Christian? Because, you know, like it says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things who, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
So if we're supposed to do this self-examination, is it something that we're supposed to do on our own, maybe in solitude, or do we invite the Holy Spirit to help us search the deep things in our heart? Well, I, I think uh, Psalm 139 came to my mind, you know, and David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And I think the um, I think we always need to invite the Holy Spirit uh, into this process. I, I like to think of this way of just inviting the Holy Spirit to, to give to give us a tour of our hearts and our minds to, to help us to see what the Holy Spirit sees because because the heart is deceitful and wicked. I don't know my heart the way I should, but the Holy Spirit does, and He's given taken my heart of stone, given me a heart of flesh. He's made my heart His home. Um, as crazy as that is, uh, the Holy Spirit knows it so much better than I do, and so. I think in order for, for me to understand my myself rightly and to know what's inside of me, I need the Holy Spirit's illuminating power and effect. But I also believe that we should bring that conversation with the Holy Spirit into community and into conversation with a trusted, you know, brother or sister in Christ and a mentor. Uh, because the outcome of that of that examination is meant to, to, to live to, to lead us in the way of everlasting, those ancient paths, those that abundant life. And so um so I think we really, um, it's, it's, it's a both and. I think we just do it by ourselves and kind of that self-introspection. Um, that's going to invite this de- deception. But I think if we do it with the process of the Holy Spirit, that's going to lead to further freedom and, uh, and, and really experiencing everlasting life. I agree with you, Justin. But how often do we actually do that in the church? You know, Thomas right. Jefferson had a Bible, a New Testament, and it was about one-third the size of a normal New Testament because he took out all the stuff he didn't like which I don't think we're allowed to do. But James uh, 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I don't know of any church that does that. We have public confession together. We all read it together off the screen. But how often has your pastor ever said, Okay, turn to your neighbor and confess your sins to one another for the next 10 minutes Mm -hmm. so that you can be healed. And everybody would look at everybody and people would stammer and they wouldn't know what to do. I think we have ignored what is a big factor in healing. And I think more and more modern psychologists, especially those in the Christian realm, are discovering that so much of the mental illness we have today is not just because of a brain defect, but it's a direct result of people carrying bitterness, resentment, anger, fear, hurt that they never deal with. And yet the answers in the scripture confess to one another. And so I think that self-examination and, and one thing I appreciate about when I worked with Tom Brock and I've worked with others, uh, we were incredibly honest with one another about our, our life and our sinfulness and our need. And when I would have small groups of men especially, I would tell the men, I'm going to be honest with you about who I am and what's going on. And I would model uh, honestly confessing. And I couldn't shut those guys up after a while because we were carrying so much burden. They didn't need a theological lesson. They needed a theological cleansing. And that's what it really does. When you said self-examination, immediately, here's what comes to my mind. Um, Age 13, I got confirmed in the Lutheran Church. That's when you start taking communion. Mm -hmm. And he, our pastor, handed out a bulletin on how to prepare for Holy Communion. It takes you through the Ten Commandments, and you ask yourself how you've violated that commandment in thought, word, and deed. Okay. Uh, And... There, so there's three questions, like, uh, have I taken the Lord's name in vain this week? Have I lived in a way that dishonored it? So by the time you're done with this bulletin, you know you're sinful and you need the blood of Christ. Okay. And so you go up for Holy Communion. And I did that 
I mean, I still to this day do not go up to take Holy Communion without having some time or sitting there in the pew where I'm silently confessing my sins to the Lord. Because it does say in 1 Corinthians 11, let a man examine himself, and in this way, let him Uh eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I like to do the self-examination, especially before I take Holy Communion. And if somebody Uh wants that bulletin, I... I, I uh, did a TV show on this, and people ran. You know, people uh, wrote in. How do I get that thing? And I and I send it out to people. But maybe I'll give you a copy of it, Bill, and you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom, to your point, what that what you're doing there and talking about the Ten Commandments. I mean, I think that's part of how the whole we we do that self examination process with the Holy Spirit by by looking intently into the Word that He inspired. Right. And mm-hmm. so and I, and I think, you know, James one talks about the, the word being a mirror and we don't want to be, you know, a hearer who forgets. We want to be a doer who acts. And part of that acts is the, the action that he leads us to is that confession and is that repentance. And I, I, tell you, I, had, a, I had a really dear friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a long time um, come up, come and visit me. He's actually a Lutheran pastor, believe it or not. Right. Um, and so I, I I do have friends that are Lutherans. Oh, I just want the listeners to know He's uh, along the with the Tom. <laughs> Along with the Tom, wow. but we had we had a time we had a sweet time of prayer together, and for whatever reason, he was sharing some things with me, and I and he started confessing some sins to me. And let me tell you, confession is contagious. Like right away, the yeah. Holy Spirit started highlighting things in my in mm-hmm. my heart, and I confessed it to him, and we prayed together. We we even did the absolution of forgiveness upon one another, and I'm you know who knows I'm even Baptist Catholic, so I'm, I I was all game for that, and. <laughs> But let me let me tell you that the refre- we've talked about the refreshing of the soul, being renewed in the, by the spirit of our minds, being transformed by our minds. There was such a time of refreshing that happened as a result of that of that prayer. And so I think that that spirit examination, self examination, can really happen in the context of a conversation with another Christian. I went to my class reunion a couple of years ago, and everybody there uh, knows I'm a pastor, and they asked me to pray before we had the meal, and all well and good. I have been astounded at how many of them have gone out of their way to contact me, either by email or phone. And now they're, they're in their late 60s, many of them, you know, almost 70 years old. You know what they want to talk to me about? Their sins. They want to talk to me about the brokenness in their life mm. and can they be forgiven? You know, and, and I've done these things to people. What do I need to do to make it right now? Or my kids are alienated. How do I work to bring them back? And I'm thinking, you know, these were kids who remember calling me Tom the Bomb, when I was in school, you know, they had the nicknames. And yet here they are, they're seeing the reality that they need this desperately. I wish we could do more of this in the church. I love it. All right. In, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So do you understand sober-minded to kind of mean anything, any type of influence that would lead you away from sound judgment? How do you understand that? Well, I think sober probably in this context has a lot to do with sound theology, sound belief, sound practice. I, I, I'm not able to look at the Greek word here, but I'm, I'm betting it goes along that line because it would be, you know, righteous thinking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, foundational thinking, the right things. If you keep your mind on that, you're going to be okay. What about if your mind is, you know, drifted into the control of a, of a dangerous outside force that would probably represent... You're not sober-minded, right? Right. You're moving out of that realm, 
And again, as Justin had talked about earlier, this is where we need one another. Somebody's got to be able to look at me and say, Tom, what are you talking about? Tom, this isn't what we believe as Christians. Where do you get this idea from? And think about it. If you have somebody that does that in your life, uh, it makes a huge difference in how you live. This week, I was supposed to interview someone for our TV show who has a very important ministry, and he was going to come and talk about it on the TV show, but he had to call and cancel and said, Tom, I'm being so beaten up by the devil right now. And he just talked about what he's... And this is a wonderful Christian man whose God is used to deliver a lot of people from Satan. And we were able, he was able to talk about it a bit, what what exactly had happened. We were able to pray on the phone. I think there's an example of when my mind doesn't get sober, it gets crazy with anxiety or worry, I need another Christian to be able to talk it out, pray it out, to get my mind back in, in the sober-minded frame. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, if I remember right, too, just a little, little bit of study that I've done on that, just that word in that context, I think some of the things that the Toms have already mentioned are, can we? Can I call you guys Tom the Bombs now? Sure, I, I kinda, please, feel free. Yeah, no. Like, it would, it would of, give the distinction kinda there. Kind of like, like a contemporary of, like, <laughs> the Sons of Thunder. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, anyway. Ooh, ouch. Any, anyway, no, that's a good... Oh, okay, anyway, compliment, but I meant to be... Anyway, see, now I'm not... Now I'm, <laughs> My my, let me get them dialing it back here. I think sober-minded really has the idea of of being having a balanced perspective, and the key to being balanced is to have the right thing in the center. And mm. and and really, and I think you know Paul teaching to Timothy and the way that he's mentoring is you know to preach the word, um, cling, adhere, uphold sound doctrine or healthy teaching. And I think really we look at what's what's at our center. What are we putting all of our weight in? What all of our emphasis in? Um, and there's so many different things that are distracting us. And so I think part of being sober-minded is really being focused on what really matters and having a heavenly kingdom-minded perspective. Good word. All right. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Because we are getting nearly out We're of time. Done. Bill, We're done to the end. Bill, the Bible that is falling apart yes. usually belongs to someone who isn't. isn't falling apart. That's a great... But I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, Tom. That's a good one. Don't yeah. touch any more of those and, buttons, though, Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll follow it with an Abraham Lincoln axiom. It doesn't matter how many times you go through the Bible. What matters is how much of the Bible goes through you. Ooh, Ooh I like that's, it. That's deep. That's a good like one, it. isn't it? That's good. I like yeah. it. Abe Lincoln. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. I'm exhausted. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I wish I could nap, but I've got another, I've got another half hour to go with uh, Pastor Rusty George. He's going to be uh, coming on the program next, and he has written a book called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. Pastor Rusty George is my guest. We'll be back in a couple minutes. <laughs>
Okay, I think I've caught my breath from the last 90 minutes. So glad to uh, invite Rusty George back onto the program. He's lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. And he's uh, also, uh, you know, in addition to having this huge church and ministry, he's written a whole bunch of great books. He's uh, incredibly articulate. He's funny. He's interesting. He's always one of my favorite interviews. And he's also uh, a loyal Kansas City Chiefs fan. And I think he also taught Patrick Mahomes how to throw his first pass. So he kind of does it all. Rusty, welcome back. <laughs> you have done your research. You're exactly correct. Except for the last part about, Pat, about oh, Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just hoping Patrick Mahomes will tithe to our church after that $500 million deal. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? That's a lot wouldn't of money to great? throw at a 23- or 24-year-old kid, isn't it? Oh, it's so much. But for us long-suffering Chiefs fans that have waited 50 years to That's see true. a championship, it's worth every penny. Yeah. Congratulations on your new book. It's called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. Boy, is this interesting to me. Thank you so much. Uh, it certainly is um, a topic I've been wrestling with for many years, and I was excited to get it on paper so it could be a resource for other people. Mm-hmm. Now, we all pray. I think all of us would say, well, we, I wish I prayed more or I don't pray enough. Um, and then we we will pour out our prayers to God and we will ask him oftentimes desperately for what we would like. And then we say, in his, Jesus' name, amen. Then what? <laughs> I know. I had a guy come up to me at our church on Sunday. We just kicked off the teaching series on this book. And he said, after amen, that's pretty simple. I said, what's that? And he goes, you eat. <laughs> <laughs> right. I said that to Rebecca earlier today. Oh, well, great minds think alike. I missed that one entirely. But uh, you're right. And what I noticed was I had been looking around, and there's so many books out there on how to pray and so many books out there on what to say when you pray, but there's very few out there on what to do after you hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, we, you know, it's like a text message. You, You type that thing out, you send it away, and then it's almost like you get the three little dots pop up, like maybe God's responding, and then it goes away. And, <laughs> yeah, the little ghost kind of wondering, going, come on, exactly. answer. Yeah. I know. Have I been ghosted? What happened? So I know I felt like that at times in my life when I prayed for things that I thought were things that he would say yes to, or maybe God chose to take a different timetable than I did. And, and it really left me wondering, you know, what do you do when you say amen. And so what I decided to do was go back to the Gospels and take a look at every time that people would come up to Jesus and ask him for something. Because those were, those were prayers. And Jesus' response was so interesting to me. It wasn't always yes or no. For a lot of people, it was a question, or it was, I want you to go do this next. You had that poor fellow that had to have Jesus spit on the ground and rub mud on his eyes and then go wash him and Then you had another guy that, you know, he had to go home hoping his son would be healed, but not knowing if indeed he would be. Some people get really honest with Jesus about, I believe, but help my unbelief. So you you see these different responses from people that really indicate whether or not they'll get what they asked for. So I, I began to look at those. I found seven common things that Jesus would tell people to do after they asked him for something. And they're the same seven things we should do today. Well, I've got a piece of paper and a pen ready. I hope I can get some of these for me and my listeners. Absolutely. Well, I'll just give you a couple because you got to buy the book, right? Well, my theory is the more of the book that you share, the more interested people are, are in getting the book. Well, that, That's my theory anyway. So 
I'll go ahead and share it all with you. Well, uh, I have several different things. Um, you know, we, uh, we start off with just kind of getting all the questions out there that we all have. And we all have questions like, was my problem that I wasn't passionate enough mm. or I wasn't perfect enough? Ooh, okay. You know, and you think about it, after we say amen, a lot of us will think, well, the reason God is silent is because I'm not as good as somebody else. And we've all got that friend who constantly tells us about all the prayers being answered for them. And we think, well, how come them, but not me? It must be because I'm not good enough. Well, then you have the other question, and that is, was I not passionate enough? Did I not, you know, uh, plead my case enough to God? Did I not cry enough? Should I have paced around or done sackcloth and ashes or something in order to get God's attention? And what I found really encouraging was, there's nobody more perfect than Jesus or more passionate about Jesus, and yet God still told him no. So when he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me, and God said no, Jesus had the faith to keep moving. And, and that's what I wanted to, to get us to, is not just faith in Jesus, but the faith of Jesus. Yeah. So throughout this book, I walk through these seven things. The first thing is this, align with the why. In other words, as a parent— you have a why for your parenting, and that may be to raise great kids so they can get a job. It might be to make sure your kids still like you when they leave home so they'll come back. It might be to get them into college or to get them a scholarship, but you have a purpose behind your parenting. And Jesus tells us that our God in heaven is our heavenly father. He's a parent, so he has a purpose in what it is he's doing. He has a why as to what he's doing in the world. And the more we begin to align our prayers with that, the more likely we are to not just get a yes, but to be viewing the things God's doing in our lives the way that, you know, God wants to do them. So that's the first one. The second one is yield the how. In other words, God may choose to say yes, but he may do it in a different way than you had expected. Um, <laughs> say more I, about I that. Y- yield the how. I, I want to just a little bit more on that. Rusty. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So a few years ago, I found myself praying for our church uh, to make a huge impact in the city. God, would you please use our church to make a huge impact in the city? On, great on. prayer, by the way. And great prayer. Great prayer. Why wouldn't and he answer that like, one pro- promptly? You feel like that'd be a layup, right? A layup, well, yeah. <laughs> I sensed God just nudging me. I, I didn't hear the audible voice, but I sensed him saying, would you be okay if I did that through another church? <laughs> Well, no, I would not. <laughs> so I had to wrestle with, you know, down my pride on that one. But it got to the heart of the issue of what do I really want? Do I really want the city to be changed? And am I okay if God does that through whatever means necessary? Mm. For instance, there's a lot of us right now as pastors who, if you would have told us six months ago that in the next six months, your church is going to build a digital online uh, platform that you never had before. Right. <laughs> you're going to engage digital giving like you've never had it before. And you're going to set up home churches in houses all over your city. You'd, every pastor would have said, that sounds great. But they, the reason or the, the why or the how that that happened was obviously through COVID. Now, that was not the how that we wanted, but God certainly used it for something that's going to yield tremendous fruit for a lot of churches who basically fast forwarded five or maybe even 50 years in order to kind of catch up to the times. So sometimes for us, we pray and we want God to do something specific, but we want it in a certain way. 
um, God, I want to be financially stable. Okay, well, let me get you a really good, you know, job that you're going to have to work 40 hours a week for and, and earn it. Oh, I would have preferred winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just processing that helps us figure out where our motives are in a lot of things. Uh, third thing, uh, do the next right thing. Um, for a lot of us, uh, we, we pray and then we wait. And we just kind of assume God will take care of it. We even say that to people. Well, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. That's so true. And it's certainly true with, uh, with, with health. I mean, we pray for our health, and then we sit down with a, you know, a bag of Doritos and a box of Oreos and watch <laughs> football all day, and, mm-hmm. and we wonder why God isn't helping our health. So you kind of have to take some steps here. You do the next right thing. And for a lot of us, we know exactly what that is. It could be, I really want to get healthy. Well, all right, let's get a trainer. I really want to break this addiction. Okay, let's go to a 12-step program. Uh, I really want to get my finances right. Okay, let's don't wait till we're making more money to save. Let's start saving and getting now. So you begin to do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Next, and and Rusty, Rusty, let me just yeah. interrupt for a minute because the Please. next right thing maybe involves a baby step, which might be the hardest step in the world to take. It is. It often is. Yeah, because the, we... Because the, uh, we like the idea of God fixing things. We right. don't like the idea of, of us being a part of it. <laughs> right. Because I, I will have, you know, people say, well, I've, I put this in the Lord's hands. And then I, and I go, great. I feel very blessed by that confidence they just shared with me. Then I also mm-hmm. think, so what's your next step? Mm-hmm. As, you walk mm-hmm. out, as you walk out your faith, what's your next step? Exactly. Is, that, is that wrong of me to be thinking that? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I think this is so true with what, the way you see the early church work. Um, you know, they prayed for revival, and God led them into places where revival would happen. Sometimes, and this is kind of yield the how, is that revival happened through persecution, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I don't want to get doom and gloom, but the way our world is right now, um, if persecution does break out against the church, which may very well happen, God's still on the throne. And God can use that to do a great thing. And in those moments, certainly, we need to not just pray for it to go away, but we need to do the next right thing. Yeah, Rusty, if you you know ask God for more patience and he answers that prayer, <laughs> your your trouble factor might double. Yeah, I stopped praying that one a long time ago. I, <laughs> I, I figured okay. God out on that one. <laughs> yeah, because he might put something okay. in your life that would require you having patience and developing it. Oh. And you would think, why is this coming into my life right now, Lord. This is not what I asked for. That's always the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, it seems yeah, that way. And what happens is, is if, if you don't have anybody in your life like that, then odds are you are that person for someone else. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> Let's see. The next one is to share the last 10%. Uh, this is a saying we adopted from somebody else years ago that we use in our staff meeting. And that is, we're always about, well, with people that we're close to, we can be about 90% honest with. And we, we tell them, you know, a, a version of the truth. <laughs> we tell them most of what's what we're really thinking. But sometimes in staff meetings, we'll just look at each other and say, okay, I need you to give me the last 10%. What are you holding back that needs to be said? And it's, it's enabled us to have a lot more, you know, clear communication with one another, be honest with one another. But I think when it comes to our relationship with God, we, we share a portion of it. And part of that is because we're fearful that if we don't say the right things, then we won't get what we want. 
So we assume that we're pulling the wool over God's eyes, which is impossible. But sometimes sharing that last 10%, that's the healing process. That's getting it off our chest. Uh, you see this with this, uh, with this woman that is begging for God to heal her daughter or for Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus pushes back on her a little bit and says, well, uh, these, you know, basically these miracles are for, are for the Jews. And she was a Syrophoenician woman is the way the text says it. And she says, yeah, but even the, even the dogs get the scraps off the table. And it was this element of her pushing back just a little bit to share what she was really feeling and really thinking at that time. Mm. And Jesus commends her for that honesty. Wow. You think that was and her 10%? I think it was. I think it was. She had the boldness to share it all. Um, I think you see that with, with Peter. She, I mean, he gets obviously very brash and bold uh, with, with Jesus. You see this with some of the other disciples as well. Um, and just being able to trust God with everything, even our frustration. You certainly see this with David in the Psalms. So much of the beginning of these prayers are, are him lamenting to God or angry at God. Jeremiah does that so well in Lamentations. Um, and I think there's something about that that causes God to lean in, uh, not to turn away from us. Mm-hmm. Rusty, let me take a little break. Pastor Rusty George yeah. is my guest. We're talking about his new book called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. We'll be right back. My guest, Pastor Rusty George, written a book called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. Rusty, before we get back into the seven wonderful things that you've laid out for us, um, let me ask you, what if you're still waiting on God to answer, but it's a no, or it's not what you wanted, so you're still waiting? Yeah, that's so, so true. Well, and that's where we get into at the end of the book, where we start talking about the faith of Jesus. Way ahead of you then. Yeah, when you start getting into looking at, and we can deal with that right now, you know, how, how do you deal with a no, or the wait is really long? Right. Uh, for instance, the, the Apostle Paul, I mean, I think we, we read his story in Acts, and it moves so quickly, we forget there was a large gap there. Uh, Paul has this, <clears throat> well, as Saul, he has this conversion experience on the road to Damascus, and then he, you know, he goes away for a, a few days while he's blind, and and uh, then suddenly he's, he's healed from that, and he's baptized, and he wants to tell everybody about Jesus, and it just goes horribly wrong. I mean, because he's a notorious <laughs> uh, you know, persecutor of Christians, and so he has to escape to the Damascus Wall, and he goes home. He goes all the way back up to Tarsus, where he starts making tents again, telling people who will listen about Jesus, and he probably loses a lot of friends. His parents probably think he's crazy. Uh, we're led to believe that he probably had a relationship broken off with uh, somebody who would have been his wife. This lasts for 12 years. 12 years he's living with this memory of Jesus saying, I'm going to use you to do something great. And he has to wait until one day Barnabas shows up at the door and knocks and says, it's time. Now, for you and me, waiting 10 minutes is a long time, right. let alone 12 years. And you look through the Bible, and boy, God's timetable is so much different 
than ours. Yeah. And so much longer than ours. And so sometimes it's just a no for now. It's not a no forever. And waiting on that is where you can either lean in to what you remember from God and what you've seen him uh, do and what he's called you to do. Or you can say, well, I must have missed that one and run away. And people like Paul, people like Job, people like uh, Joseph, you see them wait it out and God brings about something amazing. Rusty, I was talking to Rebecca, my producer, uh, earlier in the day. We were chatting about Simeon, who, you know, believed he would live long enough to see the promised Messiah. You know, and then you imagine him going about his usual busy activities one day and the Holy Spirit instructs him to pretty much go to the temple. And, you know, he might have been busy at the moment, but uh, he decided to stop and obey God's voice. And then he entered the temple and saw a young woman standing beside her husband holding a little baby boy. Yeah. Kind of wonder if every day or so he'd run in there and look for all the blue blankets just to see. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was a long wait for him. That was a long wait. Yeah. Well, the next one is run through the checklist. And here's what I mean by that is there are some things specifically in the scriptures that tell us if you don't take care of these, uh, they do short circuit your prayers. And some of them are things like unconfessed sin, you know, just um, uh, being able to kind of scroll through your own life and think, is there something in my life I am holding back from God? I'm not confessing that he knows, I know, but I don't want to deal with it. And when you hide those things from God, it's not as if he can't see them, but it does short circuit our connection with him. Something like uh, an unforgiving spirit is another one where you have a grudge against somebody else, and yet you go to God wanting him to forgive you. And Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, then, then you won't be forgiven. I mean, it's that, that great commandment that we have from Jesus that says, you know, love people the way that I have loved you. The only, no, the only commandment Jesus really gave us. And it's almost as if he's saying, okay, I gave you love God, love people. Now I'm going to just tell you this. If you love people the way I've loved you, then you're showing me you love God. And when you don't do that, it does short circuit your connection with God. He's not going to answer you. He's not going to move in the way that maybe you've seen him move before. And so that's why I think Jesus tells us that, that uh, kind of analogy in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, if you're at the altar and you brought your gift and you remember somebody has something against you or you against somebody else, go make things right with your brother before you bring your gift to the altar. There's that need for us to figure out, am I holding a grudge? Uh, is there something in me I'm, I'm holding back from God. And then there's a few other things, too, that the book goes into from improper motives to even a rift in our marriage uh, where there's a a resentment going on there or there's maybe some kind of a sin going on there that can certainly uh, cause us to have a a disconnect with God. And then the final one of that run the checklist is just Mm -hmm. the, the sovereignty of God, of recognizing that, you know what, God's ways are higher than mine. And I just don't get it. I, uh, <laughs> I use this analogy a lot with, with married couples when they're going through premarital counseling with me. And I'll say, you know, the Macy's Day Parade, you know, if you were standing on the street level watching, you know, these huge floats come by, every one of them would look just enormous. You couldn't imagine anything bigger coming around the building. 
But if you got on the elevator and you went up a few floors and looked out the window, well, suddenly now things get a little bit more perspective. And you go up a few more levels and you get a little bit more perspective. And I said, that's kind of like every year of marriage. <laughs> you know, you get into your 20th year of marriage, you kind of know what's a big fight, what's not. <laughs> what's worth dying on, what's, what's not. And I think the same thing is true with understanding God's perspective on things. He sees what is big, what's not. And the sovereignty of God that oversees everything is where a lot of times our checklist kind of has to end. Mm-hmm. You know, Rusty, this is going to be a very difficult message for people listening who might have uh, healing that they've been praying for that hasn't come or salvation for a prodigal, and that maybe is decades, and they're waiting and waiting, and they're, they're petitioning with such earnestness to the Lord that they would be healed, or that a loved one would be healed, or that a prodigal would be saved. Um, so it's a, it's a very difficult subject. It is, uh, and, and everybody has their, their story of, of where they felt God let them down. During the, the writing of this book, we had a tragedy in our community. There was a school shooting at one of our high schools, and two of the kids that were shot out of the seven were from our church, and one of whom, uh, she died. And I remember going to the hospital and talking to the father of, of that girl and him just looking at me asking, why? Why did God allow this? Every day I pray for my kids to have a good day at school, a safe day at school, return home safely, and she didn't. Why did God allow this? Why did God not jam that gun? Why did, you know, my daughter have to be the one? You know, all the questions we would have as a parent. And there's no easy answer. There's no easy answer to how to, how to manage that or how to deal with that. And for your listeners who are praying prayers that have yet to be answered. Well, I can tell you, you know, story after story of people that waited 30 years, 40 years, 50 years for their uh, their friend or their, their child to come to Christ, and finally they did. But there's also those stories of, of, of prayers unanswered. Uh, at the end of the day, it's free will, and people mm-hmm. make up their own mind and do their own thing, and trusting that God is still, is still on the throne and still in control. Uh, one of the stories I tell about in the book is my dad had a, had a saying, and that was, I won't fly with you unless I've seen you fly. Now, that sounds a little strange. I mean, how often would that come up? But my neighbor had a pilot's license, and he offered to take us up in a plane one day. And my dad said, uh, no, not until I see you fly. And he said, okay, well, come on out to the airstrip, and you can watch me fly. So we went out to the airstrip, and he flew this plane around for a while, finally landed, and my dad said, okay, we're good to go. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what my dad was looking for there. He'd never flown a plane. Uh-huh. But I think, what it, I think what it was is he wanted to know, was this guy nervous? Did this guy feel really comfortable flying a plane? And I, I, I joked in the book that we would never trust a nervous pilot. You know, if you've got on a plane and the captain's out there saying, hey, pray for me today, <laughs> and he's sweating and he's nervous and all of that, uh, I think you probably wouldn't take that flight. Yeah, if you walk by the but, cockpit and he goes, whoa, all these dials and gauges, and acts surprised. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What does this do? Um, if that's the case, then, then you're not taking that flight. And the, the tremendous encouragement I have by looking at the life of Jesus is he always trusted his father. He was never nervous. And he always knew that, that his father knew best. And even when he gets a no, 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, okay, um, I would have preferred something else, but you know best. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And I think there comes this moment in our prayer life. We have to be willing to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Yeah. Rusty, it's always nice to have you on the show, and I, I love your writing, and I love the way you communicate. So thank you so much for uh, giving us a nice uh, broad picture of the book, After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God, because that's all of us. It is. It is, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I love love talking with you. I would tell your listeners that, yes, they can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all those kind of places, but if you go to the website, afteramenbook.com, uh, you can get it cheaper, and if you're a church leader, you can buy it in bulk and get it half off, and I'll throw in nine free manuscripts and small group videos you can use for your church, and you don't even have to give me credit. So That's tell sweet. That's sweet, because <laughs> Amazon says there's only 10 left in stock. Order soon, so it's selling well. <laughs> yes. Rusty, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Yep. Pastor Rusty George has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. If you want to go to MyFaithRadio.com, you can check out the show page if you want to listen to the podcast. Otherwise, I cannot wait for our time together tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.